Welcome to All Things to Bet, a podcast hosted by Taylor and Brittany. We'll be coming to you with brand new episodes every Tuesday. If you want to tweet along as you listen, feel free to use the hashtag AllThingsToBetPod. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. This is All Things to Bet podcast, episode eight. Eight. I'm Brittany. I'm Taylor. Today we are talking about season one, episode five of the original series, Lies, Lies, Lies. I'm guilty of not watching the other scenes. When I do a rewatch, I typically just rewatch the Tibet scenes. I'm really bad about doing a full watch through. So I'm like, why is this episode called Lies, Lies, Lies? And then I realize it's because of like the end of the episode when Jenny's professor is talking about how they're everyone in the group is lying to each other etc etc you're right I was like what why is it called that that makes sense yeah and I was like oh yeah because there are other storylines in the show besides (laughs) Tibet I tend to forget that (laughs) yeah you and me both yeah so this is a big Tibet episode actually because we find out some pretty cool information and it's it's got one of the like in my opinion, one of like the sweetest scenes between them of the whole series. Yeah. So yeah, we can go ahead and jump in. First scene that we see of them was when they're in the kitchen and Tina's making the sandwich. It's very brief. The like most disgusting sandwich in the entire universe, which like when you then know that she's pregnant, it's like, oh, of course she's having cravings. But when you don't know that, it's just like, child what are you eating like, yeah it was nasty what was, it? What was, it was that like sardines sardines yeah and she just like swallows the one hole which like Props. why i didn't even know sardines could go in a sandwich maybe mm. i'm just uncultured that way i don't know but i mean and it, you know laurel like really swallowed that too so props yeah. to her whatever it was she ate whether it was actually a sardine or something that resembled one it was gross. Yeah. <laughs> I hope for her sake it was just like a really well decorated gummy fish or something. Sure, sure. It probably um, wasn't, but when I meet her in London in September, I'm gonna ask her in season one, episode five, did you really eat a sardine? Or <laughs> that'll be the only thing I ask her. Hey, how you doing? Love you, love your art, love your acting. One question. Did you really eat a sardine in season one? If so, that's she'd gross. probably just be like, When the fuck did I eat sardines? I eat sardines. So like that's how actors act 90% of the time when you ask them like an episode specific question. They'll be like, I did that. I was saying to you before we started recording that I feel like Laurel's eyes are so brown in this episode. Like, yeah, super brown. Every take, they just seem so brown. She is, she is fascinating to me as like her appearance. I've said it before in the the pilot, how she looks when we were doing the pilot episode, how she looks so different in every season, but also like even present day, we're having this debate, like, is her hair blonde or is it strawberry blonde? And every picture, she just manages to look different in some way. It is wild to me. Yeah. Even between yesterday and today. Exactly. For those of you listening to this, I don't know, like three weeks in the future, I guess. <laughs> We're recording this on the day that Laurel dropped that selfie and was like going back to Austin, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then the day before she posted the one of her and her makeup artist, because it was her makeup artist's birthday. 
And just between those two days, Laurel, what I'm saying to you, again, in the ambitious hope that she's listening to our silly little podcast, pick one Instagram filter. We're very confused. Yes. You are fascinating in that you can look so different photo to photo. She's a chameleon. She really is. So that scene is super brief. Tina's having her weird craving sandwich and Beth's walking out the door. Oh, something I noticed that I I don't think I'd actually noticed before. Jennifer breaks a little bit in that oh, yeah? scene. I don't I had never noticed it before. And then I noticed when you know, she says, like, that is disgusting at the end. She's giggling. Oh, and I'm like, goes. there's no way Bet is supposed to be laughing when she's <laughs> saying that line. So it's just straight up Jennifer just kind of <laughs> slipping into Bet a little bit. And it gave me a lot of joy. I love that. Yeah, so Tina has independent scenes of Bet. I'm assuming you watch them. Yes. With, with Alice. See, this is the thing is that, like, I clocked that when I was watching some of Bet's. I didn't even like process that, oh, it's just Tina and not Bet in this scene. I don't have to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> so that like we see that Tina has bought has bought like the Costco yeah. size box of pregnancy tests and Alice is over and they're gonna Tina's gonna take one. Which like what the fuck are they gonna do with all the extra pregnancy tests now? Just I don't know. Them. Well, I'm sure she, if they had been trying for some time, I'm sure it wasn't her the first one she'd taken. Oh, yeah. No, it makes sense. But it's like, how many extra do you have, Tina? I'm sure Bet bought those. Yeah, that's true. Bet was probably like, I can't be bothered to go to the store for more than like more than once. So here, <laughs> have pregnancy tests in bulk. I love what Alice is like. I didn't even realize they sold these in bulk. Seriously. But I know you like these, you like these particular scenes with Alice and Tina. And that I they, do. I mean, look, I think what did you say? Of, they look very much alike. Yes. I said they look really related. I personally think that Tina and Alice always look a little bit related. I think just because the hair color, eye color combo. I don't know if it's because Laurel's eyes are so brown in this episode Mm -hmm. Something about it, they just straight up look like sisters to me in this episode. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I kind of love that for them. It, yeah. They kind of are in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're super close. Their closeness is evident even when they like talk off screen. Like I just think about the Pantspot interview, how they just seem, even after all this time, they seem like they just have a really secure bond with one another. It's really sweet. Laurel and Leisha. So... Laurel is anticipating if she's going to be pregnant or not. And it's interesting because we don't hear anything about, like, she doesn't say to Beth when Beth's walking in the door, like, hey, I'm going to take a pregnancy test today. And it could be because she wanted it to be a surprise. But is it also just, like, another example of them not talking? Yeah. I'm trying to think now. Or did she just yeah. kind of do it on the fly because she wanted to be sure? Yeah, well, I mean, like, maybe she was sitting there with her fucking sardine sandwich, like, chomping on a pickle and was like, wait. My favorite, one of my favorite aspects of the original series is how often we do see Tina eating. And she's not, like, we see her eating meals, too, but she seems to just be snacking a lot. And I appreciate like that I'm a, because I'm a snacker. And I, I could just, re I really appreciate that about her character. I love it. 
I love yeah. it. All the time. Yeah. And it's not just when she's pregnant either. Like it's no, just it's all always, the time. Yeah. Always. I think we even see it at Henry's a couple times. She's like on the phone with Kate and she's like eating something. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. I don't know um, if that was a Laurel choice or a production choice. It was probably a Laurel choice. <laughs> yeah, probably. Because to be honest, food props are kind of a pain in the ass. And so <laughs> literally anytime a screenwriter will put them in, the props department will go, really? Why do you hate us? <laughs> the next scene that we see with Tina and Alice is that Tina's taking the pregnancy test. They're in the bathroom and they have this conversation because Alice is at the point where she's going to, she is bisexual and she's going to she is going to go back into the world of men and interestingly enough tina says to her men are boring yep i was like foreshadowing yeah and we also get just a just a hint just a sliver of a peekaboo into tina's like history here because she yes off the cuff says i used to take these all the time in high school because i thought you could get pregnant from giving a guy a blowjob yeah. And it's it it's not much, but it's something referencing her past. Yeah. Or touching the door handle of like the boys' bathroom or something. Yeah. 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 I think I wrote in my notes, I wrote, quote, are you sure you want to go back to men? Oh, Tina, honey. <laughs> those words will come back to bite you. Yeah. Well, but the, the the interesting thing, I mean, yes, those words definitely come back to bite her, but also I'm just like. Again, because season one takes place in some weird alternate universe, I'm like, I guess it was alternate universe, Alice, that had this whole thing happen. Because clearly, by season three and season four, she's forgotten. Sure. It's like you always say, like, with Alice and Jenny, no one made it a bigger deal than it had to be that they had had relationships with men. Yeah. Both of them did. They had relationships with men in between having relationships with other women but with tina and i and i wonder if some of that is because like alice and jenny didn't necessarily leave someone in their immediate pact like yeah jenny had the drama with marina and tim but they were out of the picture oh yeah i'm sure you know? i mean bet is like kind of the leader of their little mm -hmm. group yeah. and so it's not like tina didn't just leave any of them she left bet yes it's interesting to see the characters kind of mirror the fandom in that way, because I feel like both with that situation and with the divorce, and in some extreme cases, even with the end of season one, which makes me really mad, that mm -hmm. is kind of how the fans see it. It's like, Tina, how could you leave Bette Porter? And actually, there's a Facebook group called Tibet Tea Time that's run by some of our friends, one of them that we just recorded with last episode, All Things Bet, Amber, it's ran by Jess, and one of the other um, gals in the group, her name is Louisa, and she always posts really thought-provoking questions. She does, and, yeah. And one that she posed recently was, would Bet have ever told Tina that she was cheating if Tina didn't find out herself? And did we talk about this last episode? Do you remember? I don't think so, no. Okay, maybe we just talked, we might have talked about it on the on the Discord trivia call, but I mean, she's our lives are just all consumed with Tibet. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah. It's just a lot. <laughs> One yeah. more thing I wanted to say about this going back to men thing. Long story short, I am writing this paper about the L word and like fan interaction and shit like that. And so I've been watching and reading a lot of interviews with Eileen today. Oh yeah, yeah. And um, 
one of the things I read that made me uh, question her judgment just a smidge is apparently Henry was always the plan. Yeah, oh. you should see Britney's face right now. Oh, like, really? Yeah. She said, oh, I wonder if I could find the quote. Okay, yeah, here we go. I had a hard time doing it because fans of the L word were so dedicated to the Bet-Tina relationship. They loved the character of Tina so much, which, okay, I mean, did, did they really? I got so much anger for letting Tina go back to men. I kind of mm. buckled under the pressure. When I had originally envisioned that story, I had just thought of Tina as a person who would have a relationship with Bet, And then when that relationship broke up, her next relationship would be with a man. And I thought I'd get to tell that story. And I didn't get to really explore it in that way. Eileen, why? I mean, I kind of get it because she was talking about how that's just something that she saw bisexual friends of hers do, you know, mm-hmm. like, I think one of the really interesting things she said in that interview was, it happens for so many different reasons. So I, I guess I get the impulse to tell that story. I guess I just would have perhaps proposed to Eileen, maybe take a step back after season two and realize how beloved that relationship is. Maybe reevaluate your plan for Tina. Right. Just a thought. Anyway, I thought that was interesting because I think you and I have always kind of thought that it was like because Jennifer was pregnant. Right. Laurel had Lola or something. I think Jennifer being pregnant is the reason why we didn't even see like a a semi-intimate scene between Tina and Bette in season three. I assume that if Jennifer hadn't been pregnant, we might have seen one. Maybe. Even like angsty breakup sex again or something. Sure. So speaking a little bit on like just experience in this fandom and people's varying opinions on Tibet breaking up and getting back together and Tibet breaking up and getting back together and things like we were talking about this with Amber last episode, even that like there's this concept of a slow burn with Tibet. And part of me wonders if that's as much as we, we claim to hate it in some ways, if that's like part of the thrill of them is like, will they or won't they? Yeah. Because I feel like most shows, especially ones that went as long as The L Word, typically have a couple like that. Yeah. Is that fair to say? I think so, yeah. Or they're like kind of the, like typically the favorite and they, they're on and they're off and they're on and they're off, but. Ross and Rachel. Yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking of too. And I and I don't think that, again, we've, we've talked about this many times, but like, it's like you say, like you can understand the divorce, but you don't understand Carrie. Yeah. Some of it, though, I feel like if we did, if, if Bette and Tina were always together, there's elements that we wouldn't see of them. We wouldn't see the angst. We wouldn't see the sexual tension. We wouldn't get to see any of that. And I think, I feel like that's such an intricate part of the experience of watching them. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think one of my favorite Tina moments in the entire series wouldn't happen without Henry and wouldn't happen without Jody, because it's when she's talking to Kate And she says, I didn't think I had the right to screw up her life a year after I decided to walk away from it or whatever. Yeah. I love that moment because I think it's so emblematic of who Tina is as a person and how caring and sort of selfless and empathetic she is. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, we wouldn't have gotten that. We wouldn't have gotten, Jennifer says this all the time, that 
Bette learned a lot from her relationship with Jody that mm-hmm. I think made her ready to marry Tina. Yeah. And yeah. we I don't know that she would have gone through that growth if she hadn't had that relationship with Jody. So yes, it sucks. I yeah. know we hate when Tibet is broken up. And I think it's hard too, because at least when you and I watched it, we knew they were going to end up together at the end of the six seasons. I think the thing, at least for me, that's harder now is hoping and thinking they're probably going to get back together, but not knowing not for knowing. sure. Yeah. And even if we did know for sure to be like, okay, well, like, when do you have it planned for? What right. if the show gets canceled before then? Which, not to get on my political soapbox for a second, <laughs> but that is one of the reasons, besides the fact that it's literally people's jobs, that is one of the reasons I get really upset when people are like, boycott Gen Q, cancel Showtime, get the show canceled if Tibet don't get back together, whatever. That's not going to give us the realistic Tibet slow burn. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you boycott the show, we'll never know. It could get canceled. Sure, sure. And I guess I don't understand why that is the goal. If what right. you really want is for Tibet to be back together. It's like many of our friends that are a part of the younger generation that are part of the fans that came on because of Gen Q. Gen Q has a has its place for a generation of people. Mm-hmm. You know, I find it hard to believe that, you know, you and I are in the middle as far as like the age range goes, like, cause we're not as young as say our friend Molly, who's 20, but yeah. we're not as old as some of our friends that are in like their forties and fifties and have been watching since the dawn of time. However, you can't mean to tell me that the younger generation would just watch the L word from the beginning and say like, I love this show. They had to have something like Gen Q that was more modern to Mm -hmm. bring them into it. I just, it brought in this whole new generation and this whole new perspective. And I think that that's amazing. It's even like our friends who have been watching for a long time have told us this podcast has brought a new perspective to their minds because we're not longtime fans, but we have watched it enough to kind of study these characters, know them, love them, etc. So yeah. if you say cancel Gen Q, you're you're essentially canceling an entire part of the fandom that was brought in because of them. Yeah. And you know, for a fandom that is already has so much division, like why do that? Like why try to exclude the younger generation? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean I think it's interesting because like you said, we're in between, right? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I feel like you skew a little bit more millennial and I'm kind of like, I mean, we talked about this last time, but like, I'm actually, Molly looked up the word for it. I'm what's called a zenial. Nice. So I think like, even for me, knowing that there was Gen Q helped me get through some of the sort of more onerous problematic in hindsight parts of the original L word. Sure. Because I I knew that it grew as kind of like a franchise. Yeah. You know? And I do think Amber kind of kind of made this point last time about like, well, 
you didn't start over. You did make it the L word. You did have Jennifer, Alicia, and Kate come back. And I think what she said about honoring their backstories is valid. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't want to discount that. I think Marja does have to accept that she has three of the most beloved queer characters ever in the history of anything, but particularly in the history of television. And I do think you have to honor that. But it's like you said, there is representation in Gen Q that was not there in the original. And that Mm -hmm. speaks to this younger generation and speaks to one of the Eileen interviews I was watching. She kept quoting the theme song. (laughs) And I was like, Eileen, please stop. But she kept using the like way that we live line. And as corny as it was, it was clear that that was very important to her. Mm -hmm. And she said something like, we, I think meaning as like a creative team, realized that before us, we were invisible. Mm -hmm. And nobody was talking about the way that we live. Mm -hmm. And we are very aware of the fact that we want to, hear more ideas about different people in the way that they live because we can't know everybody's experience. And I think that queer people of today live differently than the queer people of past generations. And I think Absolutely. that by having this whole cancel Gen Q because it's not exactly like the original L word, it shouldn't be. No. And by saying that, I think to a lot of the the younger fans, even to me to some extent, it feels like what you're saying is the way that you live is not as valid as the way that I did. Sure. And like, that's, I don't think that's something that as queer people, we want to say to each other. Mm-hmm. So that was my soapbox. I'm sorry. That was. No, it, it's, it brings up, it brings up a lot of good points in that at the end of the day, like we only know the experience that we live through. Right. So even Mm -hmm. as, even as you and I being relatively close in age, bisexual women, I'm never going to know what your life experience is and you're never going to know what mine is. And the same goes for a woman who might be in her fifties, who's a lesbian who came out 30 plus years ago versus a young person in their twenties going through the experience of coming out for the first time, or maybe they haven't. And we can't just generalize that because of an era of time or because of politics or because of acceptance present day versus back then that it was any more traumatic or less traumatic or basically that you have no idea. You have no idea what a person, especially somebody who is LGBTQ youth goes through. Yep. You just don't. So I, I say that in, in defense of, of our younger friends who along the way have really felt discredited in a lot of ways because yeah. just because they're younger and just because their experience has been different and just because the world might be a little bit more accepting today, it doesn't mean that they haven't had their own trials and tribulations with being a young person who is gay. Yeah. And I mean, 
Again, to give some props to Jen Q, I think one of the things that they did really well was when they had Bet speaking to those homeless queer youth, because there are more homeless queer youth now than there have ever been. Yeah. And again, that's not to say that we aren't appreciative of the generations before us that have made certain aspects of being a gay person easier. Of course, we're Mm -hmm. grateful for that. Mm -hmm. However, it's not easier for everyone. And everybody's situation is different. And I think Mm -hmm. that's the thing that I think as a fandom, we really have to honor is -hmm. that even in season one, when they have that episode where everyone tells their coming out stories, they're all different. And Mm -hmm. we can't reduce an entire generation down into one story because that's not... That's not gonna help, I guess. No, it's not. It's not. And I, especially right now in a time where like there is these new revelations, of course, coming coming through in the last decade or two, where like trans people are definitely more accepted than they were. The concept of being trans is better understood. I mean, geez, even for me, I had no concept or education about about what it meant to be trans two years ago and since then have done like a lot of education watched a lot of stuff just to try to familiarize myself with what it means and and things like that and the difference is is that like back in the day say someone was trans you couldn't just go online and figure out what it means to transition from a male to a female or female to a male and I think that it's important to remember that because that also can isolate a person even more for instance, like having these thoughts that like, maybe I do need to to transition into being man, woman, non-binary, whatever, but they're terrified of coming out. Whereas like this common knowledge aspect, this readiness of information that wasn't available before. Yeah. We also have to look at like suicide rates of LGBTQ youth and so on. And the fact, I mean, even today, like literally today in, in the news, the, what, is, what is the big, the big headline right now is having to do with the Catholic church and marrying LGBTQ folks. Yes, we have become more progressive as a human kind, but the battle is not over. There's discrimination at every turn. There's heartbreaking stories of loss and isolation and depression and mental illness and lack of resources and lack of treatment and and you name it it's it it continues to happen yeah so the, the battle's not the battle's not won and we need to stop treating it like it is yeah we need to stop treating the younger generation like they have it so easy because it might appear like that it might appear like that because but maybe the twitter community the instagram community the tiktok community maybe that's the only community that they have yeah and we won't know that. Yeah. I mean, I will say right now, it's the only community I have. I'm not out to anyone in my family except for my mom and one aunt that I blurted it out to because I was nervous <laughs> and saw a bisexual flag and just like had momentary like word vomit. But right. like, you know, this is my community. This is what I have. So yeah. you know, if you need if you need a face to that kind of person I'm right here because I know that the questions and the religious statements and the 
I'm only saying this because I love you and I want what's best for you shit that I would get from my family is not worth it. Yeah. And if I find myself in a relationship with a woman that is serious enough that I want her to meet my family, then it is worth it to me. But until then, I don't want to take on that angst. And there is still that angst. And I am still in a relatively privileged position where even though all of those things would hurt me, Mm -hmm. I I wouldn't be in physical danger. But there are still a lot of LGBTQ people in the world that live in countries where it is illegal, where you can be put in jail, where you can be killed for being gay. And I think it is not only racist and colonialist and classist to pretend that that isn't a thing anymore, but like it's undermining the experience of lots of people that are still suffering. And I think that we need to kind of keep that in mind as a community. Yeah. And, and likewise for me, you know, I'm married to a man there's people in my life that will never know that I'm bisexual ever just be same reasons, religious reasons. I don't want them to know because I don't want the questions. I'm secure in the fact that I am, but that doesn't mean I need everybody that knows me to know that. You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, I'm committed to my husband. Like that's, I'm, I'm a faithful person. And yeah, same thing. I have the privilege of the fact that I'm a woman married to a man. But I did see a TikTok the other day that put it very um, kindly that I hope when people see me walking down the street that they don't think there's just another hetero couple walking because I don't want to (laughs) be, I don't want to be associated with straight women. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. 100%. Yes. I'm not in that category. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, should we talk about some cute Tibet things? We should. We should. After that, like, 20-minute conversation about yeah. being gay in today's society. Yeah. So Where do we even leave off? I don't even remember. Alice, Alice just, like, saw the pregnancy test that Tina's pregnant. So Tina and Alice are, like, celebrating right. in the kitchen. Yes. And Tina's face, when she's looking up at Alice and she's all excited... It reminds me of the same face that she had when her water broke. Oh my God, that, you're like, right. Just like shock and awe. You're like she totally can't right. believe it. It's the same face. I love that yeah. face. It's so cute. And then yet again, Kit shows up from the back door. <laughs> didn't come in the front door, showed up in the back door. You're right. I didn't even think about that. That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> and also finds out that Tina's pregnant because they literally just found out. Yeah, and it's so weird because I know now, like having rewatched the whole episode, that it's mostly because I think she knew that there was a letter from David and she was worried about that. But the way, like Kit's tone in contrast to Tina and Alice's tone, oh, I was yeah. like, what does she know that we don't? Like, right. is she not supposed to be pregnant? What And like the way she goes, does Bet know? Yeah, like- I know. She gets really serious. And I think that some of that is because like she knows, she knows already that if Bet was not the first person to find out that this is going to cause a problem, this is going to be an issue. And it does end up, be- Bet ends up getting pissed because she is, according to her, one of the last people to find out. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but she was not the first person to find out. Right. So uh, anyways, kids, they're celebrating 
Alice is celebrating with Tina. Another thing I noticed that I never noticed in prior watchings of this episode is that Tina is wearing those same pajama pants that she's wearing mm-hmm. in the pilot. And I just realized that uh, when I was watching last night. So a little bit later in the episode, then we see Alice and Tina and Kit sitting at the table and they're talking about all the things Tina can't do now. And that's when we also get a little bit more into insight into who Tina is, because one of the things she says is no more Xanax. Yep. That's like her big thing. Cause I think it's the last thing she mentions, right? Yep. Yeah. No yep. more Xanax, no matter how stressed out I get. Yep. And Alice promises that she's not going to tell anybody that Tina's pregnant and that goes out the window. Yeah. But so. it's interesting because we don't technically know that at this point, right? Because it's yeah. like one of, if not the first time, like we know Alice is kind of gossipy and shit, but like yeah. it hasn't become yet this recurring theme of don't tell Alice a secret because literally everyone will know in five seconds. So sure, sure. I mean, I'm sure the characters know, but as an audience, we're not like, Tina, why would you tell her that? Yeah. We, it's not the first time though, because the first time I'm thinking of is when she says, when she knows where Helena Peabody, or I'm sorry, Peggy Peabody is staying. And they say, how do you know that? She's like, I was snooping around at LA magazine. <laughs> yeah. like, like we know that she's got like the inside track, but yeah. So Tina and Kit have a separate conversation about the letter with Kit's son. The next scene that we see is Tina calling Bet, And this yeah. scene of course includes your favorite, James. Yes. 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 Real quick before we get to that, though, one line that has from that previous scene where they're all talking at the table that almost kind of breaks my heart, knowing where it's going, is when Tina says, I want to get everything right. I'm going to be as together about this as Bet is about work. Yeah, that is a that's a sad line. Oof. Partly because obviously we know that she does do everything right and she loses the baby anyway, which mm. again, props to the writers in this particular instance, because I think that that's really important that Tina did everything right, mm-hmm. you know, to show that it is absolutely a hundred percent not her fault. Sure. And, but like, even just that I'm going to be as together about this as I, as bed is about work it kind of gives you this insight that maybe she feels less valuable Mm -hmm. to them as a family now that she's not working. Sure. And I don't know. I just thought it was kind of a sad little little insight into maybe Tina's self-worth issues or kind of where their relationship's at, that she's watching Bet go out every day and continue to kick ass in the art world. And she's just kind of sitting at home and is like, waiting to get pregnant. So sure. So yeah, that, that line just kind of hit me. Yeah. I, the L word, um, like we've talked about before, they do a good job of, of looking at issues that are not just specific to the LGBTQ world. And one is with a show being based on women talking about the subject of miscarriages. I think even for that time was pretty progressive, I would say. I don't know that there was a lot of mainstream television that was that was really focusing on that or had it in the storyline or didn't just breeze over it or whatever, right? Yeah. I mean, as a woman who is speaking personally, like I've had my own struggles with infertility and it's just like my PSA to all the 99% of our viewership that's listening or our, our, our um, 
folks that tune in, we have like 1% male audience, that your worth is not determined based on the fact that you can or cannot birth children. It's not based on the fact whether or not you have a job at this time. You know, as women, we, we tend to come down really hard on ourselves if we're not doing all the things that society says that we're supposed to be doing. And one of the big ones is being a mother and having children naturally. Yeah. So that is just my little message to everybody listening that your whole worth is not wrapped up in if you can or cannot have children. That's one piece of who you are. Yeah. There's a powerful scene in Gen Q too, where it's after Kiara miscarries and Mm -hmm. there are bet Tina and Shane are sitting on the couch and essentially trading miscarriage stories, Mm -hmm. which is heartbreaking, but I think is so important for women because I think it is various struggles, be it a miscarriage or going through an abortion or struggling with fertility. That pressure is something that a lot of women feel. And I think that I loved that scene because they were talking about it with their friends. And I think that's Mm -hmm. something that like, as women, we need to be able to do is to be able to, regardless of whether or not we do have kids and regardless of how we had those kids, to be able to be there just as women who know that regardless of whether or not you want it, it's a societal expectation. I don't know. Just when we were talking about miscarriage, it made me think of that scene and how even today in 2021 to see a group of three women sitting around talking about miscarriage and how devastating it is. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. You don't know. You don't know and you can't judge based on you don't know like the the struggles. I mean, I'm I'm even guilty of it. I saw a post of a uh, actress who shared that she was pregnant, and from appearances, like from the, if she had just posted that picture, most people would probably just assume like, oh, she got pregnant probably on the first try, whatever. Like, because that's automatically what your mind goes to. Like, she probably didn't have any struggles, but she opened up about the fact that she had two miscarriages before she got pregnant, and mm-hmm. that is that is like you said, we need more. I feel like we need more transparency especially public figures are able to speak up about it more because otherwise as women, we can fall into this trap of blaming ourselves. This is all on me and knowing that it's not so many women go through this and we just don't know because their stories are kept in the dark. Yeah. Because there is that shame around it because you are kind of conditioned to think like, well, it's my body. So it's my fault. And that's not how it works because pregnancy is complicated. Birthing a human being is super hard and complicated and a lot can go wrong even if you don't have any medical issues at all. And we even know like because of the pandemic over the last year that there's been tons and tons and tons of content that's been released recently that says that so many women have been put in a position where they've had to leave the workforce. Like more times than not, it's women that have had to leave over men. And Mm -hmm. I think that's also just something that like we need to consider is that the pandemic had bigger, bigger consequences than just, just COVID related things, number one, but number two, for a woman who has, for me, I've, I've struggled for a long time, like wrapping up who I am in my title 
and mm-hmm. who I am with what job I have, we have to consider that there are still women that maybe haven't even done any soul searching or healing or work through the reasons maybe why they're so addicted to their jobs. And if they had to step back from that in a time like this, I mean, the mental health consequences are, none of it's positive. Let's just say that it's, no. it's, it's a really dark situation. Apparently I have a lot to say about support to women tonight, whether it's I mean, the younger generation or people dealing with infertility or women coming out of the workforce. Let's just, we're feeding off each other. Yeah. What's if, happening. You, if you didn't know, Taylor and I are both feminists. It, it hasn't become like if the like two 20 minute rants about feminism were not making that blatantly clear. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Wait, can I just go on one more tangent because I thought of this, but I wanted us to like break the seriousness before I said it. Can you imagine betting this pandemic? Oh my gosh. Well, I think I'm pretty sure that they're not going to like make the pandemic. I know they're not. But in a way, I almost wish they would just to see that. Imagine. She'd be losing her shit. She'd be losing her goddamn mind. She would. She would. But but they could have done like a whole like spinoff of Tibet in a pandemic. Tina got caught back in the U.S. and she couldn't leave. And Bet wasn't working. Yeah. Angie was doing e-school. Oh my God. She had to have a virtual graduation. <laughs> I mean, the possibilities, it could have just, it, it would have been great. Oh my God. Oh my God. No, you know why they couldn't do that is because Bet and Angie would have murdered each other within yeah. like a month. Tina would have had to referee the entire time. Yeah. The yeah. Entire and if time. Tina wasn't there, forget it. They're dead. They're both gone. They're dead. Yeah. Angie would have had to move out. She'd have to go live with Shane or something. Yeah. Angie would have been like, listen, I know it's pan it's quarantine, but I don't care. I will hitchhike to Toronto. I cannot live with you anymore. Yes. Yes. Anyway. Okay. Now are we going to talk about James? Yes. Okay. So we're at the, the CAC. Go. We're at the CAC and Bet is, as per usual, her work life is fucking insane. And similar to that sort of phone chain scene we have right before they fight about preschool. Yes. This kind of has that same energy, except Tina's not as angry, so they don't fight. But everyone wants Bet's attention. She's got like three different phone calls. Franklin's coming in trying to talk to her. She's not getting the show she had to like beg Sheldon Tomlin for forgiveness and get that stupid impressionist show she didn't want but it was already gone and like she's just having a real rough time and Tina calls because she wants to tell Bet that she's pregnant and she wanted to make it special right and of course Bet picks up the phone and is like I can't talk right now and like everything's on fire I need to like figure it out and Tina's just like okay just promise me you'll come home for dinner. Mm-hmm. That's like, I don't know if I can do that, Tina. <laughs> That's my bet impression. Sure. So Tina has this really, it's cute because it's like one of the only times I feel like we see like Tina get kind of openly flirty and kind of seductive. And oh yeah, on the phone, but. Yeah, yeah. She does. The, yeah, yeah. It's, it's sweet. Yeah. I'll, what Which, did she like, say? I'll make I'll it all better. Of you. Yeah, I'll make it, I'll make all, it better. all better. Yeah. And it's really, 
I think telling that Tina's like, okay, I need to make sure she's home. I need to make sure she's sex. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That'll get her home. (laughs) But I love it because she's so like bouncy and happy and cute. and, And, you know, so then they hang up and I love that bet goes into what I called in my notes, her gallery director voice. Yes. <laughs> because it completely changes, which like yeah. I know because I have my customer service voice. When I'm waiting tables, I swear to God, my voice goes up like three octaves. Yep. It's definitely a real thing. But I think especially talking about Bet and how she has kind of the mask and then the actual Bet. It's just kind of like a subtle little thing that Jennifer did that I thought was really cute. And then my boy, James, my (laughs) sweet son, James. (laughs) Franklin comes like barreling down the hallway because he's like, Franklin had like had it in for bet for from like day one. And I don't really understand why. I mean, I guess, is it just because she's like a gay lady of color? I don't know. It it doesn't make sense to me. Especially because, like, he ostensibly hired her. So, like... Yeah. Maybe it's just because she's a powerful woman. I don't know. Yeah. I I get... Like, maybe he hired her thinking that, like, oh, she's a woman. I can push her around. And then it's Bette Porter. So, of course, he can't. And anyway. James, I love, like, two things he does. First, he pokes his head into Bette's office. And is like... Franklin's heading this way. And then he pulls the door to her office closed. And when Franklin comes down, Franklin's like, is she in? And James is like, nope. And he's like standing in front of the door with like his arms crossed, like literally guarding the door and lying for her. And I was just Because he like, would do anything for her. Yeah. He's completely devoted to her. Beck could literally say, James, go jump off a cliff. And he would be like, okay, yeah. I'm going right now. On my way. Yeah, I love that. That's why he's the best. I'll say it again. Why the fuck, Bet and Tina, did you ask David to be the man in Angelica's life when James was literally right there? Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. Anyway, <laughs> after that... Oh, one more thing I did want to say about the scene at the CAC is that kind of like how I was joking about Bet's customer service voice, we see kind yeah. of a more serious example of that. She has that really great Bet Porter line where she says, he may be out of the CAC's league, Franklin, but he's certainly not out of mine. Yeah. And it's just so like, freaking fuck you. And I love it. And then she goes around the corner. And the second she's around the corner, she leans against the wall and has a full on panic attack. <laughs> yeah. That's the duality of Bet in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. And props to Jennifer for making it so organic and believable. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's something that I really appreciate about that is that like, yes, she is very often like picking fights with people and standing up for what she believes in. But I love that 99% of the time after she does it, she freaks out about it afterwards. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I feel like that's how I handle conflict is like, if you make me angry enough, I will tell you off. And then I'll like, go home or whatever. And I'll cry about it. Right. So just for me to see like, Bet Porter, this strong, accomplished woman, also have that post-confrontation panic attack was 
a a great insight into her character and b just really relatable for me so (laughs) okay so now that's bad day has gone from work now she's brought it home yeah she's she's not in a good mood when she gets home no she is bitching the second she gets in the door (laughs) i think she's bitching as she opens the door and is like immediately off put because she thinks tina invited someone over for dinner when in fact it's the pregnancy test on the plate yeah and then realizes that it's the pregnancy test on the plate yeah it feels like an I love one of my favorite things in the entire world that I don't think I fully appreciated about this scene because one of the notes I made is that like I think I've seen so many gifs of this scene mm-hmm. and I like always forget how it hits or like I've seen like just like the I love you kisses which I do love but like I forget how fucking adorable and soft and tender the entire scene is oh yeah and Tina's face as she's watching Bet realize what's going on, mm-hmm. it's just the softest, most adoring, adorable look. Mm-hmm. I know. And Bet's face when she realizes that it's a pregnancy test, when she yeah. realizes the magnitude of what's going on, very much like Tina was when she found out she was pregnant, just shock and awe. You can just see her whole demeanor changes. Yep. It's in an instant. Her bad mood is gone, and like Bet Porter does not get rid of bad moods easily, no. but that does the trick. Yep, you are one hundred percent right about that. Yeah. So yeah, they have this very sweet moment. Bet tells Tina she loves her. Like I think, according to Robin's trivia, seven times. I love when Bet says, "I'm sorry, I was such an asshole." <laughs> Which time, Bet? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, and then I love that Tina's only response is, I'm sorry you had such a bad day. <laughs> like Such a sweet moment. I um, wish we had more moments like this with them. I know, I know. Especially because I feel like that's just so exemplary of why I love Tina. Because she's just so warm and accepting. Because mm-hmm. she knows it's the stress. Oh, yeah. You know? And... I mean, she even says, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but like she even says later, like, I know how stressed you are. I'm trying to leave you alone. And going back to what Tina says in Gen Q, you can see how much space Tina is making for Bet. And in this case, I think it is a very positive, warm thing that Tina just kind of creates this space that Bet can kind of fall into. And they can have this beautiful moment together where they realize that they're going to be a family and it's fucking adorable. And their little forehead touch right before it cuts away from that scene makes me want to shove my fist in my mouth. (laughs) Oh, well, and then like we see this amazing moment with them and then it's just like all the air is left by the balloon because they go to the planet and Bet realizes that, that more people know and that they didn't get to tell them together, I'm sure is one of the reasons why she was upset. And she goes back to blaming Tina for that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I tried. I don't know if it's because I was just coming out of this very like intense, thoughtful class. Because I feel like we don't usually record on Tuesdays or we do, but I'm not usually this like awake for it. But 
I, I was trying to be empathetic with Bet in this moment. And I kind of put my actor hat on and went like, okay, if I was playing Bet, what would I actually be upset about? Sure. Because watching it, it's like, why are you being, like, I get that you're disappointed, but like, why are you being so unnecessarily mean to Tina about this? Uh-huh. And I don't know, I, I didn't come to a conclusion, but the possible explanations were, She's still stressed about work and or I hadn't thought about this, but I wonder if she kind of, we know that Bet is Angie's mom. We know that. Mm -hmm. But I wonder if at this point it is a little bit of like, okay, well, I'm not the biological parent. Mm-hmm. And now you're kind of doing all the like pregnancy, like telling our friends things without me. Sure. So I wonder if it was a little bit of Bet being a little bit worried about that and not really knowing how to express it. And then sure. just kind of being like, clearly the best response to this is to just lash out at Tina. So One of my other thoughts too was at the very end of that scene when they're coming out of the planet and they're in the car and Tina says, you know, I'm just trying to leave you alone. And some, but sometimes I need to like share a moment with someone. Mm-hmm. And Bet says at the very end no that that's sad like i yeah i wonder is she saying like no that's sad like tina that's so pathetic of you or no that's sad because she's not around i think it's that and something i actually wrote about that line is what's interesting about this scene is that they realize what their problems are mm-hmm. it's interesting because i think that was kind of a very surprisingly self-aware moment for bet sure and again there is a little bit of foreshadowing there that when tina said like i'm trying to leave you alone i wrote that's the problem i mean yes to a certain extent bet does need that space but you don't need to leave her alone in every aspect of your life tina like sure again it's them just overcompensating in opposite directions and kind of missing it but I did think it was interesting that actually had a moment of self-awareness. Sure. Well, and I think that, again, it goes back to like, Tina is not a, um, she's not doing this out of like a place of spite, you know, like she didn't tell Alice before Bet because she was pissed at Bet in the same way that like, she didn't tell her she was pregnant with Angie because she didn't think Bet could handle another miscarriage. She is doing it mm-hmm. from a place of compassion. But one of the things I think that Tina fails to realize is that even though she's trying to protect Bet, like one of Bet's biggest triggers is clearly being left out. Yep. Absolutely. So she's going about it wrong. Yeah. She's doing the wrong things for the right reasons. Yes. Yes, she is. So I think they get better with that as time goes on, but they don't do so hot with it in the beginning. No. Yeah. So after that, Bet almost loses her job. Yep. But Peggy Peabody saves the day. Yep. Can I just say? Oh, again? wait, wait, wait. Hold on. I skipped a scene. The The Waited. next scene is the ultrasound scene. Oh, okay. I thought it was after, so I wasn't going to yell at you for it. <laughs> what were you going to say? You mean, you mean the ultrasound scene where Bet checks her fucking watch when they're about to see their child for the first time? That ultrasound scene? Yes, that one. There's the part of me that understands what anxiety is like and can have some compassion for Bet just trying to like 
again, it's that control thing, right? If I check my watch, clearly I will be able to, even though I've probably double booked myself, I will magically be able to make this board meeting on time. But still, there are, there are moments, even now we live in the smartphone generation, there mm-hmm. are moments you put the phone down mm-hmm. or the wa- or you, you know, look away from the watch and are just present in the moment. And to be fair, she gets there. She does. And I just love that shot of them literally like just gently touching heads and mm-hmm. Tina's playing with that one little curl of bets that she always plays with. <laughs> and I, yeah, it's adorable and I love it. It is. After that scene is when Beth almost loses her job and Peggy Peabody does save the day. Yeah. And James makes the mistake of putting his hand on Peggy's shoulder. And she's yeah. literally, this is not the exact line, but the effect of her line is, get your hand off me if you want to live. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, Peggy, I love you. Yeah. This moment is pretty cool, though, because you can see how much like pride that does take in someone being outright showing their appreciation and their admiration for her and her job. And a woman too. Yeah. An older woman, an older white woman. Yep. Yep. And when I first watched the series, I didn't really understand why there was so much hostility from Helena to Bet even in the beginning before they really knew each other. I always sensed that. But of course we find out later on I think even in season six, when Helen is making that goodbye video, that because Peggy Peabody, her mother, took such a liking to Bet, Yeah, she treated her more like a daughter. That made Helena super envious. Yeah, which like, I can kind of understand because, I mean, I'm sure we will dissect Helena's character because you and I are both a big fan of her and Tina's relationship and shit like that, so... Yeah. So I'm sure we'll talk about this a lot, but you know, you can kind of understand both how Bet would see this woman who's probably about her mother's age, has a lot of things in common with her mother. And like, mm-hmm. you know, you can see how she would slot Peggy very eagerly into that role because she's always been hungry for that, I think. Yep. But you can also see on the other side where the resentment would come from from Helena because it's implied that Peggy is not the most present mother, shall we say? Mm-hmm. And to, you know, turn around and be like, oh, so you never gave that to me, but now you're giving it to this random woman who's not even your actual child. I can see it from both sides, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about Helena. Yeah. When the day comes. So the next scene that we see is Beck coming home and everybody's celebrating because mm-hmm. of the baby and because Bet saved the day. And again, this is where we get a little bit more insight into why the episode is called Lies, 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 because as this episode is being shown, Jenny is is writing in her little office and Mm -hmm. they're showing, it's not really happening, but they're doing like the voiceover in the presence of her professor who's talking about how what we see is not reality. He references Tina and Bet by saying like, they're touching just a little bit too intimately and they're not being honest with each other in the line that Tina says to Bet is no matter what happened in that boardroom, we would have been okay. That's not yeah. the truth. No. <laughs> they would not have been okay. No. Tina is they pregnant. Have been... They both would have been jobless. They would yeah. not have been okay. They would have been absolutely fucked. <laughs> <laughs> there are a couple of things I love about that scene. One, I feel like we actually get, this isn't strictly Tibet related, but I feel like we get 
kind of the first glimpses of the note I wrote was, there's the kitten bet I know and love. Yep, yep. Kitten bet were actually a kitten bet I recognized. Yeah. Which was nice. And that moment when Bet comes in the door and does that little like victory dance and it's just... The hand snap. She does a very similar one in that clip that has been circulating around Twitter recently when she runs into the actor that... The guy who played Pierce, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She does that to him when she sees his... I think, I, it's a, it. I think it's a Jennifer thing. I don't think it's a bet thing. Yeah. No, I We agree. don't ever see bet do that again. <laughs> yeah. But we see Jennifer 20 years later. Do it. And then there was one other thing I liked, but one thing I hated. The fact that, what's his face? David calls Melvin grandfather makes me deeply uncomfortable. It's also just really weird that Kit and Bet both call him daddy which first of all I just I don't know maybe it's just me because like I didn't have a good relationship with my father but I feel like any grown woman that still calls her father daddy I have some questions (laughs) but the fact that like that's so casual and then David's like grandfather like we're fucking English nobility like (laughs) Melvin, pick a lane. That's all I'm saying. But then the other thing I loved about that is that Tina literally skips up to bed when she sees she's home. Very Um, sweet. Yeah. And and I love when they're making that toast and Tina's like, I'm so happy for you. And Bet says, for us. Because again, it's one of those few moments where you see the front go away and you see, oh, like. That's actually thinking of them like as a couple and a unit. And mm-hmm. It's like this nice little moment of solace before it all comes crashing down. What an optimistic note to end on. <laughs> Taylor is notorious um, for these moments. Okay. <laughs> on an actually optimistic note, I do actually really love this episode. I think it's very soft. I really would love to see even if it's in a flashback, because I don't think it's feasible right now in Gen Q, like in the present timeline. But I think it's a good testament to the fact that softness has its place in a drama. All right. Well, this has been All Things Tibet, episode eight. I'm Brittany. I'm Taylor. See you next time. episode of All Things Tibet podcast hosted by Taylor and Brittany. At this time, we do not have any sponsorships, but if you're interested in sponsoring us, please send us an email at allthingstibet at gmail.com. We can be found on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under All Things Tibet podcast, and you can check out our main podcast profile at anchor.fm slash allthingstibet. We post new episodes every Tuesday and we send all of our love to the Tibet fandom for their support during this time as we get this brand new podcast off the ground. We will see you next week.